0: Thanks so much for listening to Hometown Stories. It means a lot to us. If you like what you hear, we'd love it if you shared us with a friend, left us a review, or subscribed to Hometown Stories. That way, you basically get first dibs as soon as we release a new episode. You can also email us at hometownstories at wdbj7.com. We'd love to hear your hometown story. Okay, now let's get back to the episode. GOES-T is going to do some big things. GOES-T is a satellite NASA and the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration recently launched. They say it's got top-of-the-line technology to send high-definition images back to Earth. It'll track weather on our planet and outer space. In this episode of Hometown Stories, we chat with Liz Klein, one of the leaders of the GOES program at NOAA, just ahead of the launch at Kennedy Space Center. She explains how meteorologists, like the ones at WDBJ7, will be able to use GOES-T. This interview originally appeared on the WDBJ7 Plus digital news desk. Liz, welcome. Thank you so much, Leanna, for having me. I am super excited you are here today, Um, and because we want to make sure that people understand just how significant this launch is that NOAA and NASA are doing together. So let's just first start by breaking down. You're with the GOES program. What is the GOES program? So I work with NOAA, but we also work
1: in partnership with NASA to build, to conceptualize, build, and launch, and then operate these GOES-R series spacecraft. That GOES-R series speaks to the baseline technological capabilities of all the instruments on board the spacecraft. There are four satellites in the series. We currently have GOES-16 operating as GOES-East, and we have GOES-17 operating as GOES-West. This is our third satellite that we're launching, GOES-T, which will be renamed GOES-18 once in orbit, and it will replace GOES-17 as our GOES-West operational spacecraft. There is one more coming, goes you,
0: and that will be launching in 2024. That's a lot of numbers and letters to keep track of, but uh, they, it they is. certainly... Um, so, Liz, for the purpose of helping our viewers understand how these satellites will help our meteorologists, what exactly is the GOES-T satellite designed to do? So the GOES-T
1: satellite has on board six different in- instruments, but two that face the Earth and look at the weather as it evolves on the earth within the Western hemisphere. So between goes east and goes west, we can see the weather all the way from New Zealand over to Africa, as far north as Alaska, and as far south as the Southern Ocean. And this huge footprint helps us to be able to forecast storms and storm systems better as they develop and evolve and propagate across the Pacific, across the continental United States, and of course, over to the Eastern seaboard as well.
0: We've seen a lot. It just seems like one thing after another. Sometimes, whether it be, uh, you know, hurricanes forming both in the Atlantic and the Pacific, um, those wildfires, particularly out west. I mean, how with this advanced imagery, how is that going to help us moving forward? Maybe could it help us anticipate some of those events a little better? Absolutely, because we can see such a large footprint. We can watch as the storm
1: evolves. We can better forecast storms itself themselves or as they impact other storm systems, such as a hurricane that's forming in the Atlantic, that track of the hurricane could be determined by storm systems in other parts of the United States. So it's really critical that we see the whole picture. Um, And as well as the whole picture, we can see the fine print. We can take a storm sector and put it right over a fast developing storm and be able to see that imagery come in every 30 seconds, which gives us a state of the art look at that storm and how it's developing. So not only can the operational forecasters within the, op- within the National Weather Service use this imagery for decision-making, but so can forecasters sitting at a desk or even someone looking at an app on their phone, because it feeds into the uh, operational forecast models as well.
0: Wow. So in addition to meteorologists like the ones who work here at WDBJ7, who else is particularly going to be paying attention specifically to what Ghost T is going to be producing?
1: Well, Ghost T, because it's sitting in the operational west position, which is over the Pacific Ocean, it will be ideally located to look at the Pacific Ring of Fire, those volcanoes that are out there. Um, And so we'll be able to monitor any eruptions and resultant volcanic ash plumes, which have huge impacts on health, the aviation sector, um, and even economic impacts as well.
0: And so I'm also curious, Liz, because this is not only keeping an eye on the Earth, but it also is tracking space weather, which is kind of funny to think about because we don't always necessarily think about weather happening in space, but it does. So can you tell us what kinds of weather events or weather patterns in space that goes is going to be watching and then how it might affect us here uh, on the East Coast?
1: Absolutely. So it's not just the two um, instruments that are looking at the Earth. We also have four instruments that are looking either at the sun or measuring um, particles in the space atmosphere right around the satellite. And the things that these instruments are measuring could be coronal mass ejections from the sun or solar flares they release particles into the space environment that we can measure because they have impacts on satellite operations, such as telecommunications and GPS, and they can impact things on the ground at Earth, such as power grids. So it's critically important for the US to have a feel and a forecast for the space weather so that we understand the potential impacts that it can have on these critical systems.
0: So you said GOES-T is replacing the satellite that is currently monitoring the Western Hemisphere. What is the satellite that's currently in orbit? What's going to happen to that one?
1: So once we get GOES-T up into its geostationary orbit and over into GOES-West, We'll take that current satellite there, which is called GOES-17, and we'll move it into what's known as a storage position. So it will be put on something synonymous to a standby mode. So if there's anything that happens with our GOES-East or GOES-West, we have someone to turn to to fill in the gap uh, in case of emergency. Uh, And we'll be able to take that GOES-17 spacecraft and move it either east or west to help us fill in the gaps to make sure we have continuity in these advanced weather observations.
0: How do you move it once it's in orbit? How do you move it into that storage position? The spacecraft has on board a couple of different um,
1: engines and thrusters that we can fire, um, and we can, we can uh, move it just by firing those engines um, and slowly getting
0: it over into the position where we need it to stay. Uh, Today is launch day. Um, How are you feeling uh, ahead of launch this afternoon?
1: Well, Leanna, I'm here at Kennedy Space Center, and the energy is palpable. Everybody is so excited for launch. The weather forecast looks great. We have an 80% chance of go for a launch based based on the weather. Um, So we're very excited. The anticipation is, like I said, it's palpable. Um, So we're
0: just so excited. 438 can't come soon enough. (laughs) I'm sure, and especially because this has sort of been in development for a while. Can you walk us through how Ghost Tea in particular goes from the planning stages to today when you guys are looking at ready to go launch in just a couple of hours? Yeah, sure.
1: Um, so, uh, the government puts out a call for proposals, and we get a lot of information, a lot of ideas from across private industry. We review all of those proposals and we start building some instruments. Um, once those instruments get built, we test them in a number of different ways, including in a thermal vacuum testing that mimics the cold of space. We shake them a lot, which uh, mimics how they would be launched into space. Um, and after they go through this rigorous testing, we launch them and
0: then we get them on orbit, do some more testing, and they become an operational satellite. That is so cool. And like you said, Ghost t is sending back that information every 30 seconds. And this has the advanced imagery, the advanced instruments, uh, the most up to date. Can you give us a sense of just how technology is progressing to where what you guys are putting on and sending out um, into orbit today, kind of the road that it's taken to get to this quality of information imagery in particular.
1: Yeah, there has been a lot of research and development behind how operational forecasters can use the data. What would be best served to put in front of an operational forecaster in terms of how often they should be getting the data, what the spatial resolution could be, um, the different spectral information that they could gather by combining some of the imagery to create what are called RGBs, how those can be used. um, And a lot of uh, Uh, time has gone into deriving products as well. So you mentioned wildfires earlier. We have a fire detection and characterization product um, that we can use that to determine the radiative Uh, power that is emitted by wildfires that we can detect on orbit. So we're not just looking at the imagery, we're taking that imagery and applying additional information to it to create a value-added product for emergency managers in the field. And the development of the instrumentation itself, the capabilities that it can do, how we process the data, and uh, the resultant products that we can get from that data and put into the hands um, of the people out there that need it is that's a, a long process that has um, a lot of involvement across the board from the public and the private sector. Um, and we've, we've just seen technology grow by leaps and bounds. For example, the GOES-R series uh, of spacecraft as well have the first lightning mappers in geostationary orbit. Um, and that technology does exist Uh, In terms of remote sensing, there are lightning mappers, for example, on the International Space Station, but now we have them in geostationary orbit for the first time in the Western Hemisphere. So it really brings a state-of-the-art revolutionary system right into the hands of operational forecasters, being able to make better decisions faster.
0: Um, Liz, when you know when liftoff happens, when launch happens for the satellite, how far up from into the atmosphere is goes T going, and how long do you guys think it will take for it to get there if all goes according to plan?
1: Well, the period right after launch, Liana, is actually called orbit raising. So the satellite will ultimately sit twenty two thousand miles above the Pacific Ocean. However, it takes a couple of weeks to get there. Um, and it gets there by using some of those engines and thrusters that I described earlier that we um, that are used to move its uh, orbital location um, in terms of longitude as well. So we take those engines and there's a complex set of burns that happen so that we can get the satellite raised to 22,000 miles above the earth. And then at the exact position, which for the checkout will be at 89 and a half degrees west. But ultimately it goes west over at about 137 degrees west.
0: This is so cool. So I'm, I'm just curi- curious for you, Liz. I mean, what is it that, I'm sure sometimes some days this is tedious work. Sometimes you hit those roadblocks and you have to find another way around them. What makes you in particular so excited about this project?
1: Well, Leanna, I'm the product quality lead, so I have a passion for making sure that users, any user out there has, has the data that we're producing from the satellite because it is a publicly funded mission, but also knows how to use that data. So we wanna make sure that there's documentation, there's information available, that we, we are an, an open network that the public um, or operational forecasters can contact us if they have any issues. Um, we send out a comprehensive array of notifications if there are any problems with the data or if we're doing some routine calibration or maintenance on board the spacecraft so that everybody is aware of everything on go- going on on the spacecraft. And yes, uh, some days it can get a little tedious But overall, it is so rewarding to work here at NOAA with our partners at NASA, creating this incredible spacecraft and putting this powerful imagery and data into the hands of people that can use it.
0: Well, Liz, thank you so much for being with us today. Is there anything else you'd like to add or anything else that you'd like for people to if they could take away one thing from this conversation? What would you like it to be?
1: Um, I'd like everybody to remember that not only are these operational spacecraft serving um, Earth. Uh, weather forecasting needs, but also solar and space weather needs as well. Um, some of those capabilities are some of the first, not only in geostationary orbit but in orbit altogether. And um, having the, those new data and capabilities is just a phenomenal, uh, revolutionary advancement. And so, getting the, Earth, the not just the Earth in high definition, but the Sun in high definition as well. Um, is uh, one of my favorite parts of the GOES-R series, of satellites.
0: My guest today has been Liz Klein with NOAA, who is the quality lead for the GOES-R program. She was joining us today from the Kennedy Space Center. Liz, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Leanna. Status check. Go Atlas. Go Centaur. Go GOES-T. The final seconds now 10 nine eight Seven, so six, spoiler alert five, the launch went really well three two one and lift off lift off of Noah's ghost T soon ghost T will reach its official geostationary orbit position at which point they'll rename it goes 18. And once our newly renamed satellite gets comfy, it's going to be put to work, testing and calibrating all its instruments. And early next year, GOES-18 will officially take over. Hometown Stories is a production of WDBJ-7 in Roanoke, Virginia. This episode was produced by me, Leanna Scacchetti, and edited by Ben Raquelmi. We'll see you next time. Hometown Stories is sponsored by Little Green Hive, because coffee is personal. Locations in downtown Roanoke, Daleville, and Grandin.